Good morning, everybody. Hey, so excited. I'm so excited about this message. I've been uh, kind of looking forward to this weekend. Even though I know it's a holiday weekend, a lot of people are on vacation. Thank you for coming to church this weekend. Give yourselves a hand clap on July the 2nd. Almost a full house at the nine o'clock service. So glad you're here. Pastor Johnson and Summer are on vacation this week, and they're going to be a little brief sabbatical, so they always uh, give July to, to, to the other pastors, and, and I, get the, I always get the holiday weekends, because as a founding pastor, you get what they call the junk weekends when everybody <laughs> stays home, but uh, I'm glad you're here, so thank you for coming. This morning, we're in the middle of a series, uh, we're calling it When You Pray, and this, this is a series that was sort of born, obviously we're in the, the whole series is about the Sermon on the Mount, but this particular series was born out of something that happened to Colleen and I almost 37 years ago. And uh, out of that, we started teaching this particular type of prayer throughout the church for the last 33 years. And so I'm, I really love preaching on this subject because I know that if you get this, if you get the secrets that are hidden within the Lord's Prayer, it will absolutely revolutionize your life. We were sitting in a meeting in Richmond, Virginia in 1986, and there was a, a pastor from uh, Rockwall, Texas, that had come up with a new teaching called the Lord's Prayer. He called it, Would You Not Tear With Me One Hour? And it became so powerful, so revolutionary back in the 1980s that literally hundreds and thousands of churches started implementing this prayer teaching in their church. And he came on a, a satellite program. They started satelliting. Back in, back in the 80s, we didn't have the internet. The internet had not been invented yet. And so nobody had iPhones or computers or any of those kinds of things uh, to, to watch services on. So what you had to do is you had to put a satellite dish on the top of your church and you beamed it from one church to another if you were sending a message across. So this was the first step of satellite churches. And so what I love about this morning, and I, I don't want to forget to, to, to mention this, that all of our campuses, Midtown, Hamilton Mill, North Cobb, our online campus, are all watching this, this specific service from this campus live. So let's welcome all of our campuses together <laughs> as you participate. The beauty of technology. So I'm sitting in this meeting, Colleen and I are sitting in this meeting, he starts this teaching, and he asks a question at the very beginning, and here's the question that he asked that kind of just made everybody ponder for a moment. He says, how is your life right now? Just think about your life right now. How is your life? How's your financial life? How's your physical life? How's your married life? How's your single life? How, how is your life right now? And then the, the next question is, are you satisfied with it? Are you satisfied with where it is? And then he began to launch into this teaching on the Lord's Prayer. And what, basically what he said is, is, if you can understand the secrets that are hidden within the Lord's Prayer and you can pray them out biblically, it will completely change your life. And next year, if you do this consistently, next year you will not recognize the person you are right now. You will not be the same person. So I had the scripture that was uh, kind of my life scripture from the day I got saved. And the scripture was James chapter 1, verses 22. And I, and I was thinking through that statement that he made. And then I realized that uh, James 1, 22 was about to take place in my life. And it's about to take place in your life. 
And then he made this comment. He said, when people go to church and they hear a message, if they just hear the message, about 10% actually will get it, get the revelation of it, and, and it, it's a part of their life, if they just hear the message. And that, by the way, is about 95% of the church on Sunday mornings. They just hear the message. He said, now, if they take notes, if they write notes in their, at that time we had notepads, now you have your computers, your iPhones. If you take notes, he said about 25% get the revelation of what's being taught, and it becomes a part of their life. And he says, if they listen to it and they take notes, and then they share it with somebody else afterwards, close to the time that they heard it, they share it with somebody else about 40 to 50% of the people get the revelation of what's being taught. But he said, if you wanna know how people really get the depth and the revelation of the word of God, is they don't only hear it, they don't only write notes, and they not only share it, but they actually do it. They actually act on it. They take what they hear on Sunday morning or Wednesday night or wherever they watch it and however they watch it, and they begin to implement it immediately in their life. And here's the scripture that James had said to me years ago. It was my, it was my life scripture in James 1.22 is what he says. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Let's say that together. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do it, what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and afterwards, looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever, in other words, he's saying, it's possible to go to church, hear the word, and go out of the church, and if you don't do it, you still think everything's cool. You don't do what the word says, but because you went to church, you're a good person, and you did the right thing. But you're not doing the word, but, you, but you're a good person because you, you went to church. How many of you know going to church does not make you a Christian? Any more than standing in a garage makes you a car. Amen? It's what you do outside that makes you a Christian. It's not what you do in the church, it's what you do outside. And then he says, but whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Now, so far, we've been talking about how to, to get into this place where your prayer life is literally shaping and forming everything about your life. Everything you see here at Victory, all the buildings, the people, the buildings at, 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 at Hamilton Mill, the buildings in Midtown, the buildings at North Cobb, all the pastors, all the leaders, all the people that do the children's ministry, everything you see started in a prayer closet with two people. It started with two people that expanded to five or six people that expanded to 15 or 20 people that expanded to hundreds of people that expanded to thousands of people. And over the last 33 years that this church has been going, we have been praying like this. We've been praying like this personally, privately, and also corporately. And when you see things like this happen, they don't just happen because somebody's highly talented, they happen because God is at work. Now, how many of you want God at work in your life? You want him at work in your life. 
So I'm going to share with you some things this morning that's going to put God at work in your life if you implement them. Amen? Now, we started with the presence of God, bringing the presence of God into your prayer life. But before you start asking God for anything, acknowledging God for who he is, and we went through these different names of God, and if you didn't get them, go back and listen to the teachings, because these are important. You don't just enter in and start spewing out your needs and your wants. God is not your errand boy. He's not your homeboy. You know, he, he is the Lord, and he is here, but we have to recognize who he is before we start asking him for anything. There's something about humbling yourself in a place of worship in a place of worship and prayer where you're basically saying, God, I know that I can't do these things, but I know you can. I humbly put them in your hands because I can't do these things. Then we talked about last week, let the kingdom come and the will of God be done in the four different areas that we pray the kingdom in. And I think this is kind of the real meat of that prayer as it starts off bringing, ushering in God's will, God's kingdom into our lives so we're no longer living for our kingdom and our will. And once you start establishing that, then you get to the third phase of prayer, and this is the simple statement that he makes in Matthew. So I'm going to read the whole scripture, and then I'm going to hone down on the scripture. He says, Matthew 6, 9, in this manner, therefore pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That's the worshiping your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then he says, give us this day our daily bread. Let's say that together. Give us this day our daily bread. Now, here's what I've learned about God. God, when you start to learn about him and cl come closer to him, you begin to realize he actually does provide for us. He does provide. He has, one of his names is Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who sees ahead and makes provision. And if you can tap into that provision, on a regular basis, you will live a blessed life. Are you ready to live a blessed life? Now, now, now let, me, let me just quantify this. This is not some high prosperity gospel where we're teaching you to give money to get stuff and drive your Cadillac and live in the, you know, take yachts out. I'm not talking about stuff like that. I'm talking about living in the fullness of God's blessing for your life, not just in finances, but in every area of your life. But he starts by saying this, and this is an interesting statement. And this is Jesus talking. Give us this day, everybody say this day. Today, my daily bread. Now he's referring in that scripture, what he's saying to the people is you have to have a daily dependency on God providing for you. Otherwise, you'll look at the news, you'll look at the economy, you'll look at your personal situation, and you'll freak out. You'll start to get worried about your finances, and probably one of the biggest worries that people carry is about their financial life. Very few people don't have a life where they're not worried about money. And here's what he's saying. He said, you can get to this place where money is no longer a worry, a fear, an anxiety in your life, where you already know before you even pray that God will provide. Amen. How many of you believe that this morning? You believe that in all your campuses? All right, so he's, he's referring, though, to a time in Israel when God was taking the Israelites out of this place of slavery through the desert into the promised land, and that was a type and shadow of how God takes us into the abundance of God. 
And I started studying this years ago, and the Lord said to me, he said, there's three lands that people live in financially. The first land was the land of lack. The land of lack is when the Israelites were in slavery. The Bible tells us that we're in debt, you're in slavery. If you're in debt, you owe people money all the time, that's a, you're living to pay off debts. Until you're debt free, listen to me, I know this is hard to digest, you're a slave. Until you're debt free. So how many of you agree that God wants you to be debt free? Amen, he wants you to be debt free. But this world is wired and geared to enslaving you in debt, to advertising, to marketing, to making sure that you buy things you can't afford, to live a lifestyle that's higher than what you should be living, and to live in this place where you're constantly owing money instead of living on top, you're living beneath. Instead of being the head, you're the tail. And that's how a government can control people. That's how worlds are controlled by money. And literally, millions of people live their whole life in this land of lack. But then he delivers us. And deliverance, is, it could be like salvation. He could, he, as you start your journey with Jesus, you start this walk with God. You move from the land of lack to the next land called the land of even. And the land of even is the desert. The desert experience that you have to go through before you get to the land of abundance so that you will appreciate it. And the land of even means you're getting free from debt, you're getting free from slavery, you're breaking the slave mentality off of your lifestyle, you're breaking the poverty mentality off of your lifestyle, and now you're living in a day where every day I depend upon God, and this is what God did for the Israelites, and he will do it for you. He brought water out of rocks, he brought manna out of heaven, he can do anything that will provide for you. And by the way, no bank's gonna do that for you, no job's gonna do that for you, no human's gonna do that for you, only God can provide for you in the land of even. And the reason he did that was to teach the Israelites how to daily depend upon God. Every day, I depend on your daily bread. I won't eat too much, I won't consume too much, I'll, give, I'll take what you give me, and then I will, the next day I'll wake up the next morning, worship you, and expect God to provide for me again. But ultimately, he took Israel through the desert, through all these experiences, learning to live on depending, God, on, on depending on God every day, to this place called the land of abundance. The land of abundance. He called it the land flowing with milk and honey. In fact, if you'll study it out, you'll find that when the Israelites finally did possess the land of abundance and they started living in the land, all the financial miracles stopped. They were no longer depending on miracles anymore because now they were living in the fullness of what God created them to receive and live in. That's where God wants you to live. God does not want you to live in the land of lack. He doesn't want you to live in the land of even. He wants you to live in the land of abundance. Come on, somebody, say amen. <laughs> the way Paul would describe the land of abundance is in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse eight. And here's what he says. And our God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. In other words, he didn't say all of you're gonna have exactly the same amount, but you'll always have enough to do what God puts you on this earth to do. Amen. Amen. All right, so 
When you start thinking about your financial life, we were talking about this in a businessmen's meeting last, yesterday when I asked the business guys, why do you start a business? And, and, and most, most people think, okay, I start a business so I can provide for my family, so I can have a decent financial life, and I can give to the church. They don't understand that there's a whole lot more reasons for why God wants you to prosper than just so you can bless the church with your tithes and you can have enough to take vacations and pay off your bills. God wants you to be blessed so you can be a blessing. He wants you to be blessed so that you can help other people in life instead of just living for yourself, us four and no more. Come on, somebody. He wants to break that mentality of just me, myself, and I into this place of I want to abound, not so that I can have a lot of stuff, but so that I can do a lot of stuff. And you can only do to the degree that you're provided for. And a lot of people have big ideas, big vision, but no provision. And if you have big ideas and, no vi and vision and no provision, it's nothing but a pipe dream. It will never come to pass. So you have to learn how to tap into the financial blessings of God, amen? And how do you do that? You do it through prayer. You do it through prayer. And so I've learned this, it's been 37 years I've been doing this, I've learned that if I wanna abound in the abundance of God and have enough to do what we're called to do, I have to pray in the resources. I have to pray them in. Everything you see here was prayed in. You were prayed in. You're abundant. I pray over your abundance. I pray, God, that he would abound in you. He would bless you to the degree, listen to me, that you can handle it. I used to ask the Lord, Lord, I want to be blessed, but not beyond what I can handle. Don't bless me with money that I can't handle. Bless me to the degree that I've been proven faithful so that you can trust me with more. Amen. All right. So how do we do this? All right. So here, here's the first step in this praying and provision. The first thing is you have to be in a position with God to call in your provision. You have to be in a position. Like if you were to go in for a raise and ask your boss for a raise, how many of you know you ain't getting a raise if you're not in the position to get a raise? Does your boss know who you are? Are you a hard worker? Have you proved to be more valuable than the other employees? Is there something going on in your life that your boss would merit a right raise for you? We live in a generation today where everybody just wants a raise and they don't wanna do anything for it. We want everybody to raise everything. Give me more and I wanna do less. How many of you know that is not God's kingdom? That's the world's kingdom, that's not God's kingdom. So how do you position yourself in such a way, in John, in John, Jesus said it this way, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, look at this, you will ask whatever you desire and it shall be done for you. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, in other words, if you're living with me in harmony with me in my will and my words are a part of who you are and you're living by those words, you're speaking those words, you're acting on those words, you're living out those words, that when you pray, you're gonna see your prayers answered. All right, so let's talk about this a little bit. What does it mean to abide? How do I position myself to do this? Number one, you have to learn how to follow his will over following money. You have to follow his will over following money. Now, this is a huge, huge problem in the body of Christ. 
Way too many people in the body of Christ follow money and then add their relationship with God afterwards. If money takes them in a certain direction, they never even think about, what is that God's will for my life? I'll give you a perfect example. When I was young, before I, before I really started in ministry, I had a business. I, I was doing quite well financially, and I, I was praying, God bless my business, and God was blessing my business. And then one morning, I was up in the, eating breakfast one morning, and I'm just not even really praying. I'm just sitting there thinking, and I hear this still small voice say to me, I want you to sell your business and I want you to move from northern New Jersey down to Richmond, Virginia, and help this little church get started. Well, can I just tell you something? That was not in agreement with my will. <laughs> my will did not want to do that. I, so I argued with God. Have you ever argued with God? I argued with God. I said, God, are you sure about this? I mean, you're blessing my business. I'm a businessman. I'm not here to help a ministry. I'm here to bless people financially. I can do so much more in business than I can in ministry. So Lord, I, was, I just wanna push back a little bit because I, I know that this business will grow and I can give much more money into your kingdom. And the Lord said, I know you can do that and there are many people that are called to do that, but that's not your calling. My calling for you is different, and I need to test you right now to see if you're going to do my will over your will. Now, I think back about that decision, and I immediately went to the, my uh, partner in business, and I said, I just, I know this is going to sound crazy. It's not going to agree with what you think I should do. My family's not going to like it. There's a lot of people that aren't going to like this decision, but I need to sell this, my part of the business back to you. And I, I'm gonna move, in a couple weeks, I'm gonna move down to Richmond, Virginia, not knowing where I'm going, not knowing who I'm gonna connect with, not knowing what kind of job's gonna provide for me. I just know that's what I have to do to be in God's will. Now, that decision is at the foundation of everything you see here at Victory. If I had decided not to do that and gone my own way, you would not be sitting here this morning. This church would not exist. It, it, there might be other, another church that you would go to, but this particular church would not exist, and the vision of this church and all the things that we've done and the millions of dollars that's gone into missions and all the people's lives, that would have all hinged on not my will, your kingdom come, your will be done, not my will, but your will be done. I can't follow money. I was talking with a pastor recently, and he said, it's interesting how June is the month of transition in a lot of churches. June and, and January are the big transition months in churches. And I, and I said, what do you mean? He says, this is when everybody moves. This is when people pick up their families and move to other states to take on new jobs, new positions, and whatever. He says, it's not uncommon. At any given Sunday, we'll be standing out in their lobby, and somebody will come up to Colleen and I or come up to Johnson and Summer or anybody else is standing up there and say, Pastor, I just want you to, I want to thank you for all the years that you've ministered to my family. Our family's been so blessed here. Our children have been blessed, blah, blah, blah. And he says, but we're moving to so, such and such a state and we're going to, you know, we're, my job is transferring me or I have a new job over there. And I look at them and I said, is, is, oh, that's wonderful. I said, did, did you pray about that? And they go, well, I didn't really pray about it. It's just that I have to do it because that's where you know, my provision is. And I said, let me explain something to you about provision. Provision is, you don't follow provision, you follow God. Now, sometimes that is God moving you. But they've done a study on people that are rooted in a church 
happy in their church, but then get transferred to another state by their job or find a new, follow another job. And they said 70% of families that get up and move from a good, healthy local church to another state to follow a job within a year are no longer going to church. 70%. I can't tell you how many people that I've seen that have wonderful families that are now divorced, their, fam- their kids are not serving God anymore because they followed money over following God. Y'all all right out there? It's a word for some of you. It's a word. Before you make any major transitions in your life, you need to ask, God, is this your will for my life financially? Am I following money or am I following God? <laughs> Gerald Brooks, my pastor, who was sitting at a round table the other day with us as a staff, he made a statement. It was an interesting statement. He said, the world will pay you better so you won't make a difference. Y'all all right out there? So I want you to think about this. Whatever you're doing, why are you doing it? Are you doing it just for money? Or is there a purpose in it? Is there a higher purpose that's, that's beyond money for what you're doing? Amen? Jesus said it this way. No one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one or serve the one and despise the other. You cannot, everybody say cannot, cannot serve God and mammon. So if you're praying, you have to be in a position where mammon is not in control of you. If mammon is in control of you, then God is not gonna bless you abundantly because he knows it'll ruin you, it'll destroy you. But the devil will. In fact, success sometimes is more dangerous than failure. Because a lot of people are not prepared for success. And when success comes, it goes to their head and they forget God and they begin to leave God because mammon takes over in their heart. It's the number one competitor for our heart with God is money. Y'all all right out there? All right, so you have to settle that. And here's the bottom line. If you settle that, then the next thing is you gotta work as, as if the Lord is your boss. You don't know my boss. My boss is God. Is your boss God? So if I'm working, wherever I'm working, no matter what level of job it is, is it McDonald's? Is it at Burger King? Is it at Quick Trip? Is it, is it cleaning carpets? Is what, whatever it is, wherever you're working, who is your boss? Because if you're a basic how you work on the condition of your relationship with your boss and it's a human being that's not God, you'll slack off. You'll start to not be a good worker and you'll start doing things to cut corners. You'll look for ways out of stuff. You'll goof off on the internet. That's what happens with many people that are Christians and they can't figure out why they're not being blessed. They want raises, but they don't merit a raise because their boss is not God. Their boss is a human, which they get offended at all the time. This will keep you from getting living in your workplace offended. So here's what the scripture says, Colossians 3.23. Work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward and that the master you are serving is Christ. Jesus is my boss. Say that together. Jesus is my boss. Jesus is my boss. And if I work for Jesus, then I'm gonna work hard. 
I'm gonna have diligent, balanced working habits. I'm gonna get show up early. I'm gonna work hard. I'm not going home before everybody else. I'm not slipping out. I'm not cutting corners. I'm not doing, I'm working as unto the Lord, not for man. Because the Lord is watching me. He's watching how I work. And I'm positioning myself so that when I pray and ask God to bless me, he can trust me. He knows I'm a worker. I'm not just somebody who goofs off, amen? And then finally, you live, and this is the, probably the key here, by the principles of first. Principle of first. What I mean by the principle of first, when you start to enter into a covenant with God, what you begin to learn in the Old Testament and then through the New Testament, that keeping God first is the most important principle of your financial life. Keeping God first. If you'll notice in the Bible, he always took the first of the herds. He took the firstborn. He took the firstborn of the sheep, the goats. Whenever they were out there working, he, he wanted the first. And they would bring it, and they would sacrifice it, and, and, they, and, they would cons- and it would be consumed as a sacrifice unto the Lord, that, Lord, you are over everything. I trust you with my money. I trust you with my resources first before I start thinking about all my other obligations. So then, as they're coming to the end of the Old Testament, and then about 400 years of silence, Israel has fallen away from God. They've stopped giving to God. They've stopped tithing. They've stopped doing all those things. And God says, return to me. Come back to me. And they said, how shall we return? And here's what it says in Malachi chapter 3, verse 8. He asks a question. Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you, God? And here's his answer. What's his answer? In tithes and off. Come on, this church can say it. You can say it. In t- Come on, Midtown, North Cobb, Hamilton Mill. Where are people robbing God? In tithes and offerings. What is tithe? The first 10% of all your increase. If your business is increased, the first 10% of your business, the first 10% of your paycheck, the first 10% of the cash you get for your birthday gift, the first goes to God, the first, everything. And the offering is everything over and above the first. Everything over and above. You can't really give an offering till you're a tither. Did you hear what I just said? So your tithe proves your faithfulness to God. Your offering proves your love to God. How much more can I give to help propel the gospel through the earth? And he says... Therefore, he says, he says, you're under a curse. He's telling the Israelites, you're under a curse, the whole nation, because you're robbing me. You stop putting me first. You start putting your bills first, your jobs first, your resources first. And he says, bring the whole tithe. Everybody say the whole tithe. Whole tithe doesn't mean part tithe. 5%. I heard one preacher say, just start with 3%. And then work your way up to, t- hopefully you can work your way up to 10%. Where does that say that in the Bible? It says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Now notice, he tells us how much, and then he tells us where to put it. He didn't say, bring the whole tithe and send part of it to your grandmother in Ethiopia and send it to somebody on TV, some televangelist that promised you a hundredfold return. He didn't say, send it to these people. He said, send it, put it in the storehouse where you are spiritually fed and taken care of. Because there will come a day when you will need that storehouse to help you. And they help, and, and when you come to the storehouse for help, the storehouse will ask, have you been putting tithe in there? Have you been faithful in that area? Well, no, I've been doing my own thing, but I want you to bless me. Let me ask you a question. Does God bless you? 
Does God say, well, no, I'm just gonna overlook all your failures and your faults, and I'm just gonna keep blessing you in spite of the fact that you've disobeyed my word? Now, the danger is you're hearing this today. Sometimes there's people in the room never heard this. They've been in church their whole life, never heard about tithing, never heard about giving. And they don't recognize the vital part of that in your financial life. So he says, test me in this, if I will not, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven. This sounds like an abundance. And pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. You won't have enough room in your closets to store all the clothes you can buy. You won't have enough room in your garages to hold the cars you might be able to buy. You won't have enough room because you now have an, now you have an abundance for every good work. And he says, I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your field will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Another translation says, I will rebuke the devourer. And the devourer ultimately is Satan himself who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And I don't know about you, but I don't want the devourer in my, in my resources. I don't want him in my investments. I don't want him in my bank account. I don't want him over my house. I want to make sure that everything I have is protected under this covenant I have with God by putting him first. That's why Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything you need will then be added to you. All right, so first thing is positioning yourself. And this is how you can have confidence that when you're praying, you can have confidence that you're praying as a righteous person that's believing God for finances and you've already done these things. You are positioned to receive. Until you're positioned, listen to me, and now this is hard to hear, but until you're positioned, you're just spewing words. You're just saying vain things, vain repetitions that are not being heard. God does not hear every prayer. This is hard to understand about God, but he does not hear every prayer. He doesn't listen to everything we say. He listens to what, what agrees with his word and when we're in a position to receive the answer to that prayer. Y'all all right out there? Yeah. All right, so first thing is you get yourself in a position. Second thing, and this is, and this is the, just as important, you have to believe God wants you to prosper. Now, I struggle with this because... Um, coming up in the body of Christ in my early days, I had a real heart, and I hope you have a real heart, for the poor. And when we started our ministry, we didn't start as pastors of a church. We started ministering to homeless people and people who were alcoholics, drug addicts, and all those kinds of things. And we'd take them off the streets. Take them in, I'd take them into my home. I'd put clothes on Did everything the Bible says. Put clothes on them, give them food, visit them, uh, put them in rehab centers and take them to church. And we, that's what we thought the Lord was calling us to do, to minister to the poor. While we're ministering to the poor, what I didn't understand was happening to me is I started developing a poverty mentality. Now, what I mean by poverty mentality was I kept thinking, look at all this abundance that be, is being wasted in the world and how many people are just, you know, just spending enormous amounts of money on stuff. Maybe God wants us to be poor. Maybe he wants us to be poor so that we can enter into the kingdom of heaven. He said it's harder for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven than, than, than for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And in other words, you have to have a major transformation in your heart if you can hand, to handle riches when you're in the kingdom of God. Otherwise, it'll defile you. So I was like, God, I don't want to have money. I don't need money. I, don't, I just want to help the poor. I just want to help them. 
And, th- and I had this poverty mentality. And, and then suddenly, as I started studying the word, I began to learn that the Bible does not, in, he does not want you to have a poverty mentality. He wants you to have a prosperity mentality. He wants you to have an abundant mentality. Why? Because he has things for you to do that cost money. And, and in order for you to do them, you're going to have to raise money in your life. You're going to have to have money. And the more money you have, if your heart is right with God, the more you can do. Missionaries come off the field all the time because people stop giving money. They have great vision, great ministry. I was just talking with Pat Bradley, our, our, our missionary in Ethiopia. We built many things over there, but one of the things we built were these apartments that we built for human trafficking victims. Years ago, we started rescuing uh, human trafficking victims over there, and the first thing we did, y'all are going to laugh at this, we bought a brothel that was where a bunch of prostitutes were, and we cleaned it out and turned it into a church. And the very first Sunday, we had 400 girls from human trafficking in that church in a former brothel in Addis Ababa. But he said, the problem, our challenge is we don't have any place to house these girls to help rehabilitate them and get them back into the workforce. So one Christmas, we took up an offering and it, and it built some apartments that they could house in that would take 300 girls. So I was at dinner with him the other night and I said, how's that going? He says, it's going great. He said, we got girls in there. I said, how many girls do you have in the apartments right now? And he said, about 100. And I said, is that all you could get to agree to go to the apartments? He says, no, we have a waiting list. He said, I said, you have a waiting list? I said, he said, yeah, because we have to have a certain amount of money to support these girls while they're in the apartments. And right now we don't have that. We don't have that amount of money. So we're raising that money so that we can get these girls in these apartments. Now, what do you think that did to me? We got to give that money. We got to find a way to get the money in his hands so he can rescue at least 200 more girls and get them off the streets. Would y'all agree with that? Well, how are we going to give that money if you don't give that money? We have all the money to do it. The problem is it's in your pockets. <laughs> Amen. The more you give, the more we can do. The more you give, we can build churches. We can build orphanages. We can rescue human trafficking victims. We can dig water wells. We can help the homeless. We can, we can do all those things when we are faithful. Amen. But you have to believe it's God's. So here's what, here's what it came down to. I said, God, I need our people to prosper. I need our business people to prosper. I need our people in our church to, to prosper. So I started, I've been praying for you guys. I've, I've been personally praying for you on a regular basis. I said, God, put your hand on those who are faithful in your church and bless them. Bless them. But here's what I need. I need you to receive the blessing. You can, you can be a farmer who sows the seed, works the ground, and then leaves the harvest out in the field. Because you don't think you deserve it. Oh, I don't deserve the harvest. I know I did all the work to make the harvest, but I don't deserve to bring the harvest in. Come on, guys. It's harvest time. It's time for you to believe God that he will prosper you. All right, here's the scripture. Here's the scripture. Psalm 35, verse 27. Let them shout for joy. Come on, let's give a big shout to the Lord. Come on. Shout. Shout for joy. Come on, shout over there at Midtown. Shout over there at Hamilton Mill. I want you to shout at North Cobb. I want to hear you all the way from North Cobb to Norcross. Come on, all you online people sitting there behind your computers, give a shout. Come on, let's give them one more shout. Shout. Shout unto God and be glad. Why should you be glad? Look at this scripture. 
who favor my righteous cause and let them say continually, let the Lord be magnified who has pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. It brings God pleasure. But the key to prospering with God is also having the right motive. Why am I asking? So he gives this to to us in Deuteronomy chapter eight, verse 18. And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth. He gives you the power to get wealth. Why? That he may establish his covenant, which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. In other words, I didn't put you on this earth to build your kingdom. I put you on this earth to build my kingdom. And the whole reason for your prosperity is to establish my kingdom, not yours. If you make sure you put me first, you're a faithful giver, you're a faithful tither, you're, you're working hard, you're believing God that, you, that it's God's will for you to prosper, I will bless you, but make sure I can get it through you to bless other people. Otherwise, I'll stop blessing you. Did you hear what I just said? He watches us as we prosper. This is why we put in in place in this church almost 30 years ago that every dime you give into this church, every dime that you give in this church that's not designated for a building fund, every dime that you give into this church, 20% of it goes into the mission field. 20% of it goes to propagate the gospel. Most churches do 10%, we do 20%. We do personally 20%, and we do, so we said whatever we do personally, we're gonna do corporately. We're gonna do corporately, so that's millions of dollars. By the end of this year, I believe we're gonna hit over $100 million into the gospel of Jesus Christ. $100 million. Now somebody had to prosper for that to happen. Somebody had to be blessed, amen? Somebody had to know what to do, and so what we've learned is when you do these things and you believe God wants to bless you, then you have the right motive, then you'll be blessed. But James warns us. He says this, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures, on your pleasures. Now, here's what I've found. One hand to receive, one hand to give. As the money goes through, there's plenty for you. There's plenty for you. You can be blessed, but don't let the blessing overtake you to the point where you become a reservoir instead of a river. There's too many reservoirs in the body of Christ where the money's all pooling in their, body, their life instead of going out into the kingdom. Amen. Amen. All right, so first, is, first thing you have to do is position yourself. Second thing, you have to believe God's will is for you to prosper. And then finally, be specific as you pray in your provision. This is not a long prayer. What's long is the preparation for the prayer. The prayer is short. Give us this day our daily bread. It's not like we're going through some long exercise to pray that in. What, we're, what the exercise is, am I in position to pray this prayer? Are you following me? See, it's no good if you just say words, but you're not in position. But if you're in position, you put God first in your life. You, 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 you are working hard. You, you are doing the things that are honest and integral before the Lord. You're, you're, you're believing God wants you to prosper. And this is one of the things about God wanting you to prosper. And listen, this is very important. Please hear this. You've got to be willing to receive what you have not earned. You've got to be willing to receive it. Because God will sometimes bless you unexpectedly. 
Sometimes you'll inherit money unexpectedly. Sometimes you'll get an investment that'll just go through the roof. Things will happen because God wants to make sure that you prosper so that he can get it through you to, to the gospel. Here's what I tell people all the time. When we come to church, sometimes I feel like I'm just using you to propagate the gospel in the earth. I'm just br- assembling you together so we can get, our, get the gospel in the kingdom and then we take the resources and spread it through the earth. You can't do that with a little tiny church. A little church of 100 people, I just like going to a small church where everybody knows everybody. Well, everybody might know everybody, but nobody's getting anything done. You're not getting anything done just meeting on Sunday mornings. Y'all understand that, right? The only way you get things done is, I just don't like the mega church. Why do you, God likes it. You know why God likes it? He likes it so much that the very first church in the New Testament was a mega church. 3,000 men plus women were born again and the New Testament church was born on one day by the overflow of the Holy Spirit. There was no little pocket church as well. We just wanna have a little Bible study. We just wanna know each other. We just wanna get to know uh, the the pastor. If we can't get to know the pastor, we don't wanna go to church there. What, What, you go to church so you can know the pastor? You go to church so you can be trained to do the work of the ministry and do the work of the ministry outside of the church, amen? Now, once you have these things in place, now listen, now you can say to God, God, today you are my provider. You are the God who provides for me. And my, as I abide in you and your words abide in me and you can see my lifestyle, you can see what position I'm in to receive, I thank you that you're going to hear my prayer today. And today, God, I'm asking you to bless me. I'm asking you to give me this day the financial blessing that I need to carry out what you've called me to do. Every day, I need more to do more. And so, God, I thank you for blessing me so that I can be a blessing. Not blessing me so I can heap up riches for myself, but blessing me so I can be a blessing, so I can give more into missions, so I can establish the church, I can build the churches, I can help other pastors, I can help missionaries, I can do work for the poor, I can do things like that, but I can't do things like that if all the money I have is just consumed by myself. If I put everything in my own savings account, preparing for the rough times that are coming ahead. So many Christians are living these lives where they're preparing for the rough times that come ahead, but they're not giving in the times that they're living in right now. They're taking from God. So let me ask you a question one more time. Would you rob God? Would you uh, at Hamilton Mill? Would you at, at Midtown? Would you at North Cobb? Would you rob God? Would you, all you online viewers that just sit back and watch us online, would you rob God? Because it says very clearly, yet you have robbed me. If you're not tithing and you're not giving, you're robbing God. You say, but that's Old Testament. I live in the New Testament. I am in the New Covenant with God. And tithing is not in the New Covenant. Really? You better go back and read your Bible. He even said to the Pharisees, he said, you tithe mint and cumin and all these different things. And he said, these things you should do. Jesus said it out of his own mouth. These things you should do, but you neglect the weightier matters such as love and mercy and so forth and so on. I'm telling you, tithing didn't end. What happened in the New Testament, it just went up. Giving went up. It it didn't go down, it went up. And not only did it go up, it became ridiculous. By the time they got into the book of Acts, it said the whole church went out and sold their houses, their lands, everything they had, and brought all their money into the church so that they could distribute it to the poor. 
So I am very thankful you're not an Old Testament giver. You are a New Testament. Come on, somebody, a New Testament giver. People that argue against tithing are stingy. Tithing is just the starting point with God. It's not the ending point. If you're not generous with God, you're not generous with life. And, and, and you can't expect God to bless you. But when you are generous, when you are faithful, when you do the things that God's told you to do, you can honestly stand with boldness and say to God as a righteous person, God, I thank you that the heavens are opening above my head and you are pouring out blessings that there are not enough room to receive them all. You're rebuking the devourer for my sake today. My business is blessed. My investments are blessed. Everything I set my hand to do shall surely prosper because I believe you are Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. You are my provider and I call in my harvest right now in Jesus' name. I call it in into my life. <laughs> what would it be like if you started praying like that? Instead of, Lord, I need a new pair of Nikes. <laughs> Lord, I want this car. Lord, I want this house. Lord, I want these clothes. Lord, I want this vacation. I never ask God for any of those things. I don't ever ask God for those things. I just ask God to bless me and then guide me in how to use that money. What would you do if the Lord began to bless you beyond what you could handle? More than, you could, more than enough. Because the Bible says he is the God of more than enough. All right, so here's what we're gonna do. I want you to stand up to your feet. All of you, all across the campuses, everybody. Stand up to your feet. <laughs> now, if you're in a position, this is gonna work for you. But I'm gonna show you how I pray this prayer. Just, it's, a, it's a simple prayer, it's not a long prayer. Now let's just, clo let's just close our eyes, let's lift our hands all across the campuses, online, and let's say this together. Father, Right now, in Jesus' name, I have positioned myself as a son and daughter of God to receive your blessings. I put you first in my life, in every area, in my tithes, in my offerings. I put you first over money. You are the ruler. You are the provider. Everything I have comes from you. And everything I'm able to do is because of you. And so God, I humble myself and I ask you to bless me today. Bless my investments. Everything I've put in the investment world, would you put your hand on it and would you bless it? Bless my house. Bless everything I have and multiply it. I call in your resources now. I call in the resources from heaven to increase my finances so that I can be a blessing to this world. Thank you, Jesus, for your financial blessing. Thank you for prospering me because it brings you good pleasure to bring prosperity to your servant. So today, I receive. Today, I receive my daily bread, my daily provision, and I thank you for it in Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. Come on, and amen. <laughs>